we were meeting at the Claridge Hotel on the ninth floor on the day that Martin Luther King was killed. We had nine council persons in that room with a mediator from Washington. And we had agreed at that hour to give the sanitation workers everything that they were asking for, union recognition, increase in salary, and better working conditions. And we were going to go to the council the next morning and present it and give the sanitation workers everything that they had been asking for. Then Downing Pryor's wife called and said, turn the radio on. We have just had an announcement that Martin Luther King has been killed. Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Pleasure to have you here today. We are going to have a wonderful afternoon together sharing with some dear friends. One dear man that I am so honored to have in this studio, Dr. James Netters Sr. is here today. God bless you, dear brother. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me share. What has it meant for you as you look back, just thinking over the past 60 years? Is there one thing that just kind of stands out to you? Yes. Uh, the fact that God has been so good to uh, let me share this wonderful ministry with a great uh, number of people and to share this ministry not only in the church, but throughout these city of Memphis and uh, Shelby County and even the nation. It has been such a wonderful experience for me that I've enjoyed it to the highest. Well, we're also glad to welcome Melvin Watkins, who is co-pastor at Mount Vernon Baptist Church. Melvin, good to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. We first met, how many years ago now? Has it been? Uh, it's been um, at least uh, five or six years ago uh, oh. we met. I love the two of you being here together <laughs> because the relationship is so deep. Yeah. Dr. Netters was instrumental in you coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Of course. Do you recall that day? I recall the time. I recall the year. Dr. Nettis was absolutely instrumental in my life, coming to the Lord Jesus Christ at a young age. He was only nine years old. I was nine, eight, nine (laughs) years old. My mother and I and family uh, were attending uh, Mount Vernon, and I was um, just a young lad through Pastor Nettis' ministry and teaching and preaching. I came to faith in Christ, and he actually baptized me. He actually baptized Uh me. Do you remember baptizing him? That was about 31 (laughs) years ago. I'm sure Melvin represents countless come to Christ through your ministry, and also you have baptized, I'm sure. Very many. I I have no idea. I know it's well over a thousand, but he was one of those special persons that was able to return. I just admire telling his story of uh, after he went to the Air Force and went on, I went back to college in Tulsa, uh, that he was actually serving there at the church while in school. And that church was doing mission work in Africa. He was able to do about three years of work in Africa in Mali, one of the heavy Muslim areas in the country. And he was able to go through that and come back and then come home and share that wonderful experience with us. As a matter of fact, it was in a very predominant Muslim country, Turkey, that God called you into the ministry. That's right. I was in Turkey and um, serving in the Air Force at Insulik Air Base. It was while I was there where I heard the call into the gospel ministry. How did God really make it clear to you? I mean, prior to that, did you have dreams for other aspirations, other career goals? I did. I wanted to be a an ambassador for the United States. That's what I thought I was going to try to work towards, you know. Now your ambassadorship but is at a higher calling, that's right? That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. But uh, my calling was more progressive through conversations with people, through prayer, through listening to the word, and the confirmation actually came from Pastor Netters. I came home 
for a funeral, my grandmother's funeral. While I was here, I talked to Pastor Nettis about how I was feeling. He uh, encouraged me and said, now you're leaving and going back to the military, but say yes to the Lord. And I said yes to the Lord, and my journey in ministry began. So uh, not only has he been instrumental in me coming to faith in Christ, but his encouragement during that time when I was trying to discern God's calling on my life was very, very instrumental and helpful and continues to be helpful in my life today. You know, Dr. Netters, in the scriptures, we see an example of the relationship between Paul and Timothy, that mentoring. For you to see someone come up through your ministry and then believe God has called him, that time you didn't know that he was going to be the next pastor of Mount Vernon. (laughs) No idea. No, no, No one was thinking about that, no. What do you attribute, Dr. Netters, your longevity, 60 years? Well, uh, first of all, I, I have given that 60-year tenure to faith in God. Uh, I just believe that you have to give God your know, full uh, attention, your know, full faith, and you have to accept the Scripture for what it really means. You accept God and realize that this is His business. His calling me to the ministry has given me a wonderful opportunity to do the work that he's given me, and I rely totally on him to give me guidance and give me directions of what to do next. Then another very very wonderful feature is is patience. I didn't have patience for a long time, but then (laughs) finally God gave me patience that I can wait until he gives me what he wants me to have, and I've learned how to wait on God. And that's one of those features, that's one of those special features that God has given me, and that has given me the, the ability to last this long. And I got a couple more days, I think. <laughs> <laughs> a native of Aliceville, Alabama, Dr. Yes, Nutters. yes. <laughs> and you were a teenager when you moved to Memphis? Yes, about 14 years old, I think. My father was a worker with a paper company, and they transferred him to Memphis. And we moved here, and I was entering into high school, entering into the ninth grade, and I started school at the Booker T. Washington High School. The rest is history. I've been here ever since. You're the oldest of three sons. Your dad, Philip, your mom, Bessie Ball. I like that name. Yeah. Tell me about (laughs) Bessie Ball. Wonderful woman. She had a very uh, medical education, about a sixth-grade education, but she had wisdom that was beyond measures. She worked hard, and she was able after uh, my father and she and my father separated early, she was able to take care of three boys, work hard and learn how to save with a very small amount of money and taught us how to be respectful and how to take care of ourselves and how to love one another and how to love God. That was a special woman in my case. Milman shared, Dr. Netters, that it was in Turkey that God confirmed in his heart that he was called to the ministry. How about for you? Well, uh, mine was uh, kind of uh, not quite that simple. <laughs> I didn't want the ministry. Uh, I didn't want to do ministry very much. I was working in church, working with the choirs and music. I loved church, but uh, ministry was a big calling, and it was I was afraid of it. I did not really want to go into the ministry because of the great demand and the great reputation that would be re- required. For some reason, I just didn't want to, and I tried hard not to. But uh, I really knew that God was wanting me to do something special for a long time. And finally, I was sitting at the table eating lunch one day. I came home, uh, with, and my wife had lunch for me. I went into a trance. Uh, I saw myself standing on a cloud before God, and God was telling me, I want you to go. 
And I said, Lord, I can't go. I can't do this. I can't do this. And every time I said I can't, I got smaller and smaller. And after a while, I finally said, I can't. The one last time, and I disappeared, and I went into a seizure. My wife tried to calm me down, and I finally, in that moment of of seizure and uncontrollable expression, I said, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And at that moment, I calmed down, and from that moment on, I knew what I was supposed to do, and I've been accepting it ever since. You married your childhood sweetheart, Leona? Yes. (laughs) You were married for how long? Fifty-eight years. Fifty-eight years. Wonderful years. (laughs) I know you, unfortunately, had to say goodbye to her, but she's worshiping our Lord. She's with God now. (laughs) Yeah. And I know that uh, a wife, a good wife, you know, the Bible says, if you find a good wife, you found a good thing. Yes. Talk about the virtues and the quality of Leona. She was such a wonderful person. She was kind and understanding, very quiet, and, and was loving. She loved her children. She loved me. And that was one of the greatest features that I have experienced, that she loved me and she loved her children. She was faithful as as one that you can always trust and love. And I enjoyed a, a wonderful life with her as we raised our children together. For 58 years, we had a great and marvelous life. Booker T. Washington, I guess she was a childhood sweetheart there. I guess is that where you met her? We went high school together. Did you pass notes to each other? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have some of those notes? No, you know? I wish I did. <laughs> that would be great if I could find those notes. I know they're locked up in your heart, though. You, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is wonderful. And I know, Melvin, for you, your wife uh, is a special part of, of your obviously your life and oh, yeah. your team. How did you meet your wife? Well, I met my wife. Actually, I met my wife at Mount Vernon. About 13 years ago, we met there at the church, I believe, at Bible study that Pastor Nettis was uh, teaching. I think I was the youth pastor at that time, and we began to talk, and we kept talking and kept talking and kept talking until uh, our relationship formed into a very close relationship. Things just progressed from there. We just celebrated our 10-year uh, anniversary. Congratulations. And uh, we had a wonderful time, and God has blessed us with a beautiful marriage, and, and hopefully um, as we are faithful to the Lord, he continues to bless us like he is blessing uh, Dr. Netters. Now, you have three sons, I believe. Yes. That's one of the things I remember about you, because I have three sons also. Uh-huh. And that's one of the things I remembered about you, that you had three sons. Dr. Netters, your children, you've got three children. Three children. Two girls and a boy, James Jr. Yeah, correct. And where are they at right now? They're in the city. They're all working right there in church with me now. We've had a wonderful life with those kids. Uh, they They had some problems in their lives, and God brought them back to me. Now they're working faithfully in church. And my son is a minister, and he's working as a media director for all of our sound programs. My oldest child's daughter, Edwenta, she is uh, head of our school. She worked in Head Start for about 30 years, and finally she came to help us at church. My youngest daughter is serving as one of the workers there in the office at church. So they're all with me now and carrying on a wonderful thing. Let me just share. Uh, I talked about those 58 years with my first wife. After she passed on, I, I said I would never marry again. But after 10 years of being single, God sent someone else of all things. The Lord let me find another beautiful woman. Fell in love with her. Somehow I couldn't say no. <laughs> We've been married now, going on two years. It has been a lovely and a marvelous experience and a marvelous relationship that God has given me for a second wife. And it's just so unbelievable that God would give me two women 
in my lifetime as beautiful as these two women that God has let me share. And did you happen to meet her at Mount Vernon, too? Would you believe she was a member of the church for 35 years? <laughs> she and her husband. I didn't hardly know her. <laughs> See her going and coming. Her husband served on the deacon's board. He was one of the most faithful sermons that we had in church. And he served faithfully, as, actually as chairman of the board for a period. And then after that, uh, he had a heart attack. And Lord took him away suddenly. And after that, we still didn't know each other. But finally, she won a big prize in the business that she's in. She's in the insurance business. She's still in that business, by the way. And she won some prizes, and uh, we announced it in church. And because we gave her such a big plug for that award she won, she got some new business. So she wanted to say thank you for this announcement that she gave, and she invited us out to dinner. <laughs> and from that time on, we've been having lunch and dinner and lunch and dinner. and then Supper, too. <laughs> Supper, too. <laughs> it's been a wonderful experience. Talk about that connection between you and the people of Mount Vernon. It has been such a marvelous experience. When I started at Mount Vernon 60 years ago, there were only about 50 members, and we were located down in Midtown across from the street from the housing development. And we started with that very small group, and it grew and grew and grew. Finally, we had to move to the area where we are now, and the membership grew to, at one time, over 5,000. That relationship developed because most of those people that are in church now came in at my invitation and I had a privilege of starting with them. And many of them have grown up and married and have families. And I brought their families into the church. I baptized them, married them, and I buried many of them. That relationship has been so close until we've enjoyed it just immensely. God has blessed us to have a wonderful father and children relationship. And that's how they call me dad and granddad. <laughs> that's <laughs> You know, Melvin, I actually have visited Mount Vernon, not during a church service, but there was a special occasion several years ago when the movie, the Grace Card movie, you know, came out. There was an opportunity for that movie to be promoted through some of the, I don't know if it was a missions conference at the time. I think it might have been a missions conference Mm -hmm. or activity. Okay. But I came, and one of the things I never will forget, from the time I walked in the door and the time I left, I felt at home. Oh, yeah. The sweetness of the people, how I was treated, I mean, it was the love of Christ. Oh, yeah. We try to pride ourselves on um, creating an environment where people feel at home, where people feel loved, where they know that Jesus is Lord, everyone is loved, and no one stands alone. And it's uh, interesting that you said you felt a sweet spirit, because that's also one of our mottos. There's a sweet spirit in this place. It must be the spirit of the Lord. And it definitely is the spirit of the Lord uh, that motivates us. We feel that when people come into the house of the Lord, they ought to feel the presence of the Lord. Dr. Netters, over the course of 60 years, was there ever an opportunity? Ever, anyone ever tried to say, we want you to be our pastor? Did they try to get you away from Mount Vernon? Yeah, a few times. <laughs> but I've never had an inclination to leave Mount Vernon. It's just been God that let me stay right there. Of course, now the Lord has let me serve in other capacities in the city of Memphis. First of all, you know, in the city council, uh, when the government changed in the city of Memphis in uh, 1958, First City Council was in stall. The grassroots group of people asked me to run and be a part of the government. I accepted that invitation. Became one of the first city councilmen in the city of Memphis. Matter of fact, and you and J.O. Patterson and Fred Davis. Fred Davis were yeah. the first three African-Americans to be elected to any public office in the city of Memphis. It's been such a marvelous experience. 
and serving there and let me get involved with the light, gas, and water. In fact, they were on my committee on the council, and after I left the council, serving as an administrative assistant to Mayor Wyatt Chandler for, I think, uh, six or eight years, uh, they asked me to come and work with light, gas, and water, serving as church and carrying my ministerial experience into the city of Memphis. My reason for getting involved in politics in the first place is to make sure that I would be able to try to get for the members of Mount Vernon, the members of our church, the things that they could not get for themselves. I wanted to represent them wherever I went, and that was my goal. Wherever I was in the city of Memphis, in any office or any activity, my goal was to get for the Christians in our church and in the city of Memphis the thing that they could not get for themselves. And this extended far beyond Mount Vernon. Uh, members all over the city who call and says, can you help me? Because of my connection in those activities in the city of Memphis, I have been able to give them directions and actually touch sources and get for them special needs and sometimes critical needs that will able to bring them forth and give them a blessing from God. And that's the blessing that I see that God has given me to extend my ministry into those areas. That, that was historical, as you mentioned, the opportunities that God has given you in our city and your love for our city, too. And, and I thank you so much for your longtime service. Also want you to walk back for a moment, if you will. When you went to Washington, D.C., Dr. King gave a speech, I have a dream, and you were there. Yes. 1963, I shall never forget. Uh, my church raised a little money and and gave me a, a ticket to fly. First time I ever had a flight, I was able to go to that. And this was uh, Martin's first meeting in Washington. And they called it a prayer pilgrimage in Washington. And I was able to visit that uh, program there with him. And I was helping to set up the stage. Uh, Jesse Jackson was working over there, and I had met him through another minister there in the city. And I was having to set up stage. I got tired, and I sat down on the back of the stage to rest, and that it was resting so well I wouldn't move. So uh, I sat there, and they got the, all the stage people on the stage, and I was sitting there on the back of the stage on the floor. That's where I stayed because I was, you know, it was hot and tired. They started the program, and then this speech came. Dr. Martin Luther King saying, I have a dream. And I listened to that speech, and it was so inspiring and so powerful that it touched every fiber in my body. And I came back to Memphis and said that I cannot sit here and, and hear a man like Martin Luther King, who is giving so much of his, his life and his experience for the freedom of our people. And we decided to get busy here in Memphis. And the first thing we decided to do was have a meeting to integrate the buses in Memphis. They did it in Montgomery, Alabama. We're going to do it in Memphis. Of course, there were 500 ministers said that we're going to go and ride every bus in the city of Memphis. Monday morning, we met at the place we were supposed to meet, and lo and behold, there were not 500 ministers there. In fact, there were not five. <laughs> there were only two. And that was the late Billy Cowles and myself and five laypersons. But we decided to ride the buses in the city of Memphis anyway, and surely enough, we did. We got arrested. After we were arrested and, and got out of jail, we decided that we were going to have another ride-in. And city officials found out that we were going to have another ride-in. And they called us and said to meet with us and let us talk with you about it. And they said, if you'll hold on, 
I think we can work out integrating the buses. Would you believe those seven persons who got arrested that day integrated the buses in Memphis without another city in, another ride in? All because of that major and master speech that Martin Luther King gave in Washington, D.C. in 1963. And from that on, it was just history. That's why I went into the government again because of Martin Luther King's inspiration. That speech motivated you and inspired you, as you said. And I know that you were also very instrumental in a very crucial time in our city during the sanitation worker strike. A lot of our newer uh, audience might not know all of what was taking place, but there was such unfair treatment for the black sanitation workers they would get off their jobs and go back to the hub or the office where white sanitation workers were able to take showers and go home. These yeah. men had to wear the grimy, stenchy, smelly clothes back into their homes without yeah. taking a shower. There was more than that. It was much not more. That was much more than that. But you were very instrumental. I can't imagine. You were here when Dr. King was assassinated. Yes. Yeah. Because you mentioned the great leader that he was providing and the, and the inspiration he was providing. And then here he is assassinated. Yes. You had to, with other men, work out the negotiations to finish what he came to Memphis to do. Uh, unfortunately, um, what we were able to accomplish happened at a very strange time. We went through a lot of marches and a lot of meetings. The council went through a lot of uh, unusual twists, a lot of fights with the mayor, who was Mayor Loeb at the time. He was very hard to deal with because he felt that he was the father of the city and, and the sanitation were his children, and he didn't want anybody to tell him what to do with them. But he wasn't doing what he should have been doing and giving them better working conditions and increasing salaries. And they may have wanted the recognition of the union. So we worked real hard to get all of that done. Fred Davis was the chairman of the Sanitation Workers Committee, and he was one of the leaders that we worked with all the way through. And... We finally got it cleared. We were meeting at the Claridge Hotel on the ninth floor on the day that Martin Luther King was killed. We had nine council persons in that room with a mediator from Washington. And we had agreed at that hour to give the sanitation workers everything that they were asking for, union recognition, increase in salary, and better working conditions. And we were going to go to the council the next morning and present it and give the sanitation workers everything that they had been asking for. Then Downing Pryor's wife called and said, turn the radio on. We have just had an, an announcement that Martin Luther King has been killed. Mm. That was the biggest shock of my life. I went into hysteria, and they tried to calm me down. I said, they've killed my man. They've killed my man. Finally, as we were listening to the broadcast, and he got him to the hospital, and surely enough, he was dead on arrival. One of the city council persons, one of the white city council persons in the room said, we can't take this to the council tomorrow. My constituents will feel that we are acquiescing under pressure, and we just can't take it to the council. That further threw me for a loop, because what Martin Luther King came to Memphis to accomplish was accomplish 30 minutes before we got the news that he was shot. And now he was dead, and he would never hear about it alive. And that was the shock of my life. It took me you know, six or eight months before I could tell what had really happened in that room that day. That was a tragic moment in my life and really in, for the city of Memphis and really for the nation and the world because of the fact that Memphis went up in smoke, garbage went up in mountain size, 
fire all over the nation, and even in Russia and Germany, the Russian curtains came down, the wall came down in Germany. It was so many things that happened because of that death that day, and Martin Luther King was the inspiration for all of it, and yet what he had accomplished, he did not know that he had won the battle here in Memphis. Melvin, for you yes. to follow in the footsteps of this, oh boy. the legacy here that we see and looking at the future yeah. of our city, the ministry of Mount Vernon as it relates to our city, talk about that. Well, the first thing that you pointed out was trying to follow in the footsteps of Dr. Netters. In one way, it's impossible because uh, God has given each of us a particular and specific assignment in life. And my aim is just to be faithful to the Lord, preach the gospel, love people as Christ can and Christ does, try to model those things that Dr. Netters has modeled before me in his life and in our relationship together and put it all in the Lord's hand. As far as the um, future ministry of Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon's ministry has always been focused on bringing peace to the city, being uh, very involved in the social climate and preaching the gospel in the midst of social unrest. And if you look out at the climate of our city today, you see uh, that circumstances are pregnant with opportunities for the church to be the light of the world. And we will continue to do that. There won't be any change because Christ continues to lead us, continues to guide us. We will continue to proclaim God's peace in the midst of the storm. Melvin Watkins, Dr. Netters, God bless you, my dear brothers. Thank you for what you both are doing for Christ's kingdom in our city. Dr. Netters, this has been my honor. I have been wanting to sit down with you now for several years. We've crossed paths at different events and luncheons for pastors. We've talked, but it's been made today, and I'm so thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful that you would let me share this great and marvelous opportunity with you, and I look forward to sharing something else with you in the, in the future. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.